Well, I'm going to read Scripture this morning. We're going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, the first 12 verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside, aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in a praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And through, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he preached the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. My name is Jason Espy. Um, my family and I have been fellowshipping here at uh, Calvary for four years. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Jessica. We will be married 14 years next month, and then have, we have three wonderful children, uh, Jolie, Cohen, and Gemma, and they are the reasons I have gray in my beard, and um, it's, it's growing quickly. <laughs> uh, I have been serving as an elder here for the last, um, since October, I don't know how many months that is, but uh, let's pray real quick. Father, I, you are our living hope. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in Jesus. Because of the reality of the resurrection. Because of the promise of the future that we have with you. The surety of this foundation that you, you came once when you said you would. It was prophesied that you'd come once. And you've told us that you're coming back to make all things right. To bring about the restoration of all things. And we trust you. We love you and our trust. We can't wait to meet you face to face. Lord, thank you for this privilege that I get to preach your word. Thank you for rescuing me out of darkness. Thank you, Lord. We need your word. It is the only thing that can save us. It is the only thing that will endure. Lord, we love your word. We love who you are. We love your character. We love 
that you promise glory after suffering. Lord, please give me clarity. Please give me boldness. Please give us ears to hear what you are saying, what your spirit is saying to the churches today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll be speaking out of First uh, Peter chapter 1. It wasn't fair that you picked that last song. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. <laughs> All right, so uh, the Lord radically rescued me out of darkness about six years ago, a little bit over six years ago. And uh, from the beginning, First Peter, he's spoken to me and ministered to me out of First Peter. And I don't know if you've ever had this question presented to you, what book of the Bible or books of the Bible would you take with you if you're stranded on an island? Well, First Peter would probably be it for me. Um, if it's not First Peter, it's definitely my top two or three. Uh, so I've been... Chewing, chewing on, meditating on First uh, Peter for you know, a little bit over six years. Uh, you know, not 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 every single day. There's seasons where God will will talk to me out of other places, but you know that Psalm 103 um, and a few other passages. Those are the ones that that He always brings me back to. Anyway, um, I love First Peter, and there's a message for us today out of First Peter, and it's for those suffering through trials. Um, and, and I've been, in the last couple of days, I've been having a few of these questions on my heart. How do you go through trials and tribulations without becoming bitter and jaded? How do you um, go through suffering, even when you're doing what is right and you're suffering? Um, how do you go through that without blaming God and attacking his character? How do you glorify the third question I've had is, how do you glorify God in the midst of your suffering? And how, the last question is, how do you not give up in the middle of it? So I have two aims today, two goals. One is I want to give clarity to Peter's message. And number two, I want to exhort you to... Uh, place your hope completely in the future grace that God's going to bring to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I have a lot of points I want to make. I've been advised to just go slowly, don't try to pack it all in. But I want to quickly move through authorship, timing of the letter, and then who he's writing to. So the authorship is Peter. He is one of the twelve that was with Jesus. Uh, much has been written about, about this man um, in the gospel. In, in the four gospel accounts, and then also the Acts of the Apostles and these last two letters, or I'm sorry, these two letters from Peter himself. Um, he was an eyewitness. I want to point out that this is a real man, flesh and blood, like you and me. And um, he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was an eyewitness of his sufferings, and he's also a partaker, as he says in the last chapter of, of his first letter, he's a partaker of the glories that are to be revealed. He's already has the part, the glory inside of him, the, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of him. Okay, but he also, I want to point this out. Okay, so he says, we were wit- eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. 
And this is what the majestic glory. So he's talking about when he's on the Mount, Mount of uh, Transfiguration. He says, this is my beloved son. That's what he heard the father saying uh, about Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He, and he goes on and says, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so we either take it as that he really saw these things or he's making it up. And we're going we're gonna to believe he is. He's telling the truth. All right, so he... Um, let's see, the timing of the letter, I had a whole thing I was going to read, but we're going to quickly work through this. Uh, scholars, uh, they, they, the, the, most scholars say it's from 62 to 65 is when he could have written this. He wrote it from, from Rome. Uh, it is about 30 years removed from when Jesus was crucified, uh, buried, rose again, and ascended to heaven. So it's about 30 years later. Um, and he is... He is writing to a people um, that are starting to suffer. They're starting to go through persecution. They understand loneliness and isolation. They understand discouragement. They understand suffering. They understand um, you know, that, that their faith is costing them something. He's writing to these people. These people that are, are beat down by a society that is hostile to what they believe, what they say is true, and to their very lives. These are people that are losing their livelihood, that are being um, losing their homes, that are being even losing their lives. They're being tortured for their faith. He, this is the audience he is writing to, and the the area will just you know where where are these five provinces he's talking about? We can just say it's about modern day Turkey. And um, so it's, it's modern-day Turkey. That area is, is this people group. Now, I find it interesting that a lot of those, those people, they were there on the day of Pentecost. You know, at least three of those, those, those regions are mentioned as being there on the day of Pentecost. Some scholars say that these people came to Jesus uh, through Paul's ministry. I'm not entirely certain. And then uh, the other issue scholars want to know, is he writing to Jewish Christians or is he writing to Gentile Christians? Um, I started, when I started out, I started seeing that he, he was writing to Gentile Christians. As the more I studied, I see evidence for Jewish Christians. So I, the scholars are divided as far as who exactly he is writing to. Um, I actually see internal and external evidence for both. And so, you know, it's a worthy topic to, to look at. And if you want to look at it, let's go grab some coffee and talk about it. But for today, our discussion is going to be, he's writing to Christians. And uh, he's encouraging them. Okay, so there is a wonderful quote that gives a, a synopsis for First Peter. It is by a man named D. Edmund Heberts. And in his commentary, he says, The first epistle of Peter has appropriately been called the epistle of the living hope. It sets forth the hope of the believer in the midst of a hostile world. Addressed to those who stood as strangers in the middle of an antagonistic and oppressive world, it is a ringing appeal to steadfast endurance and unswerving loyalty to Christ. The epistle is finding renewed significance and relevance in these days, when again, in many areas, to be known as a Christian. It may be fraught with dire consequences, end quote. 
Um, you know, here in the West, I don't want to pretend that that we are losing our lives for following Jesus. There are many in this world, in oppressive uh, you know nations, that are actually paying with their life. I read I read a story the other day of a of a lady. She came to faith, and they stoned her, and then they burned her body. There's many stories that are happening. Today, I'm sure many Christians will be killed for their faith. I hear of Nigeria, that there is an onslaught against Christians there. Our brothers and sisters are suffering way more than we are. But it doesn't mean that this message isn't for us. This message is for us. Um... Okay, so I have three points that I want to make. We might just get through two of them. Uh, you know, as you knew from my first sermon, I, I, didn't, I wasn't a great judge of time. But <laughs> okay, so I'm going to list my my points. So number one is greatly rejoicing in the foundation of our living hope. The second point will be the testing of faith, and then the last point is the foretelling and exclusivity of the salvation. Alright, so let's look at the rejoicing in the foundation of the living hope. So Peter, when he to encourage these brothers and sisters who are going through hard things, he reminds them, you are the people of God. God is jealous for a people of his own possession. The testimony throughout the scriptures from beginning to end is God wants a people for his own possession that are zealous for good works. You know, at Mount Sinai, he, uh, he declared, I want you to be a kingdom of priests and to the world. You know, in the Song of Moses, in Deuteronomy 32, when the nations were split up at, Mount, at the Tower of Babel, they were assigned according to the sons of God. So, according to the angels. But, but he said, Israel is my inheritance. Because I want a people for my own possession. Um, you can go through Ephesians 3. We're to be a witness, not just of, uh, to our neighbors, but to the principalities and powers of the air. We are a witness of God's wisdom in this world. This world knows nothing of the God's, God's wisdom. And before we came to Christ, we didn't either. We didn't know anything about it. But He loves taking people that don't know His wisdom, taking them out of darkness... Placing them in the light, in the sun of his, of his love, pouring out, showering His love on them, filling them with His holiness, and sending them back into an unholy and righteous world so that He can, he can get the glory. His ways are much higher than our ways. We are not like Him and He is not like us. His ways are... As high, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are His ways compared to our ways. I think I just butchered that. I think I just combined a, a verse out of Psalm 103 and Isaiah. Um, but His ways are so much better than, than our ways. Um, even going through uh, to the end, Revelation 1.6, it says that we were, we were bought by His blood to be a kingdom of priests to the world. And it says something like that. Let me see exactly what it says. I'm sorry, I butchered that. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. 
He wants a witness right now in this crooked and perverse generation. So you are the people of God, is what Peter says. You're his people. Is a, in the second, in the first, uh, I'm sorry, in the second verse, he says, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. You are loved by the Trinity. The Trinitarian God loves you. You have been chosen before the foundations of the world were created for the time and place that you're in right now. It is not random. God hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly what you're going through is what, is what Peter is telling these people. You are not isolated. You're not alone is what he's telling them. God knows where you are. The Father knows where you are. It is by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who makes you holy. He's the one that sets you apart for His work. And it is, what, for what reason? It is to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Another way of putting it is to walk as He walked. To walk as He walked. He is the example. Walk as He walked. And be sprinkled by His blood. Be purified. You are purified by His blood, by the blood of the Savior. You are made holy and righteous before God. Not because we're clever. Not because we are good uh, engineers. Not because we can manipulate situations well. But because of the blood of Jesus. And that's our only hope. Peter starts off that way. And then he goes and says, You are brought supernaturally by an abundantly good Father, Heavenly Father, into His family. You're given new life and a living hope all because of Jesus and His sufferings and His rewards. So I'm getting that from verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy... We're living by mercy. We're forgiven because of mercy, and we're, we're living now even by mercy. Even on our best days, we're living by the mercy of God. Even when we have the best quiet time, the best witnessing, the best thoughts, um, even when, when we don't respond in anger, we're, we're quick to, to be kind and, and are slow to anger and quick to be kind, we're still living by God's mercy. You know, there's no righteousness in ourselves. It's by His mercy. It's according to His great mercy, the Father's great mercy. And He has caused us to be born again. God the Father is the one who initiates this salvation. He's the one who brings you into His family supernaturally. You have to be born again from on high. It's not because of anything that we have done. And, it's to, and, he, and he calls us, He gives us new life, and He gives us a living Hope. Why? Because the resurrection happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened. Do you believe it? Do you believe he really was reanimated? You know, when he was dead, life came back into him for vindication? Because the Father said, every single thing this man said is true. You didn't believe him. He says he is my son. He claimed over and over again to be God in the flesh. He claimed to say, he's the only way. He did not deny it. He did not, there was no sin in him. There was no deceit found in his mouth. Meaning it wasn't even in his heart. 
And, G- and the father says, that's my son. I am well pleased with him. And I'm going to prove that every single thing that he said was real. And he came back from the dead. He was resurrected. He was raised from the dead. I know this can get old because we hear it so much. But friends, don't let this get old. Don't let this grow old. That we follow God because Jesus was raised from the dead. We need to make much of the resurrection. We need to make much of the fact that, that He reversed the order of life now. You know, death is, you know, what, what's the saying? Uh, the two things that are sure, death and taxes. Sorry to remind you, but. <laughs> but Jesus came back from the dead. He reversed it. And we have newness of life because of Him. So one of the reasons that He died is so that we could die to sin. And that we could live to righteousness. That's in the, the, the end of his second chapter, Peter's second chapter. All right, let's move on to verse 4. So, um, God has made promises to you and me. This is what Peter is saying to the people. God has made promises to you and me. Now your future is glorious. Before, you didn't have a glorious future. Now you have a future awaiting you in heaven that is glorious. And it's reserved in heaven for you. There's a reservation with your name on it in heaven. And it's not an inheritance. It's not a future that's going to get boring. It's not a future that's going to fade away and get dull. It's not a future that, that uh, is going to become defiled. Because there's no sin in heaven. There's no sin where God is. Jesus is that inheritance. Jesus is the inheritance. Being with Jesus is what you really want. You might not say it that way. Maybe you want a mansion in heaven. And he might give that to you. I don't know. But being with him is the inheritance. There's no greater joy than being with Jesus. And what's awesome is we will actually see him. Our faith will actually become reality. And what's awesome is that reality can happen right now inside of you. He can place His Holy Spirit inside of you now. And you can be a partaker of the glories to come right now. So verse 5, Peter also encourages them, listen. You know, there's a powerful protection over your life right now. God Himself is powerfully protecting your life right now. What's the vehicle he uses? How does God do this? Um, is, is he like a super, you know, is he like a Marvel action figure or something from DC Comics? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's through your faith. It's your faith, is what Peter says. The vehicle that God powerfully protects us now as we walk in this wicked and perverse generation is through our faith, our clinging to God, our loving Him. And God has promised this. And what is it for? It's for a future salvation when Jesus is revealed against the world. So God starts the the salvation process. He initiates it. He cleans you up. He declares that you're holy and righteous before Him. He says, I'm going to powerfully protect you through this age. So He saved you. He is saving you. And He will save you for a future glory. He's going to save you. 
when Jesus returns. Okay, then he says, listen guys, you are rejoicing in this. You're greatly rejoicing in this salvation. You're greatly rejoicing what God has done in your life. You're greatly rejoicing um, in this. He says, all right, let's, let's get real, okay? He says, I know things are difficult right now. I know you're being distressed by various trials. Things are coming at you like you're in a dodgeball game. You don't know where the, the, where the attacks are coming from. They are coming at you from all different angles. And he says, he even says, it's going to happen for a little while. He said, so in verse 6 he says, In this you greatly rejoice, talking about the beginning of salvation, all the things that we just talked about, the foundation of our living hope. And he says, even though now for a little while. Um, one of our, our elders, he's, he's one of our uh, local theologians, Mr. Harold Purdy says, When you're in the fire, God keeps his eye on the timer and the temperature. I hope you don't mind me quoting you, Harold. <laughs> I love that saying. Uh, God isn't doing this to be vindictive or mean. He's after a purpose. He has his eye on the timer and the temperature. He is with you in it too. He is in it with you. Alright, so he says, if necessary. Guys, this, these trials are necessary. And he says, you have been distressed by various trials. So Peter understands and he tells these people, I know this hurts. I know that this is causing you pain emotionally, physically, spiritually. I know you're struggling. We, he knows this because he's been through it too. He's been through these things. In Acts, he, he, he's arrest, he and the apostles are arrested and beaten. And they rejoice gladly that they are counted worthy to go through this. He understands it. He understands that Jesus told him, Peter, you're going to be crucified at the end of your, of your life. Where you didn't want to go before, people are going to come to you. They're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch your arms out. Peter knew that, that there was a coming crucifixion on his life. And so, this brings me to my second point, the testing of faith. I want to bring a little bit of some Old Testament scripture into this just to show um, that God does test us. He does test us. You can look at Abraham's life, Moses. There was testings that they went through. So Psalm 7, 9 says, Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. So Proverbs 17, 3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He is after a people for his own possession. He wants our hearts to be completely his. And why don't we give him our hearts? I mean, Jesus went, gave every single thing for us. Um, Jeremiah goes on to say, the Lord through Jeremiah, I should say, he says, that, um, sorry, I just left my brain. Um, those who seek me with all of their heart shall find me. The Lord wants all of our hearts because he wants to support us uh, as we go throughout this, this life. Uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, moving to the, the New Testament, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works at 
For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. So we have to work out our salvation, but it's God who, who powerfully protects us. That's what Paul is saying in a different way. God is the one who will give us the will and the, work, the, the ability to work for his good pleasure. So, in other words, God loves strengthening our faith. He wants to meet you in the middle of your struggle. He wants to meet you in the middle of your pain and your suffering and strengthen your faith. All right, so um, I do want to point out but God doesn't tempt us. God does not bring temptation to us. That comes to us because of our own selfish desires. God wants uh, to, to refine our faith. So, the testing of our faith, let's look at verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the genuineness, or the proof of your faith, is more precious than gold, which is perishable. And even though it's tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. So there's seven things I want to point out right here. One, it reveals the genuineness of your faith. When you go out into the world and find a piece of gold, it is kind of ugly. And it has no value in this world system. It must get put into the fire before it can actually uh, be traded on. I hope I'm right about that. But <laughs> but it, it, it doesn't have uh, as much value, I'll put it that way. Um, but it, it has to get it put into the fire and all the impurities and the dross and the ugliness has to get melted away and it comes down to this beautiful piece of gold that now is valuable um, and so the Lord is communicating through P- Peter your faith is more precious to God than this gold number two um, or number three, so it, one, it reveals the genuineness of, of your faith, the testing. Uh, number two, it's more precious or valuable to God than gold. And number three, it must be refined. Okay, number four, the fiery trials purify. I think we just hit on that. And I hope you don't mind me quoting you, Dustin. Um, what it does is when it, the, the impurities that we, um, it gets rid of is the lies that we believe. So Dustin Drake is, is telling us that we believe, there's three things that we believe, or, uh, lies that we believe. Lies about God, lies about ourselves, and lies about each other. Is that, is that right? Okay, good deal. Okay, so those are some of the things the Lord wants to get rid of when we're in the fire. Alright, number five, the result of faith tested by fire when Jesus returns is that we will have praise, glory, and honor. So God wants us to have praise, glory, and honor on that day. We're not living our lives for now. We're not living to save our lives now. We're looking to give away our lives now so that we'll have it, have praise, honor, and glory on that day when He comes back. Number six, the testing of faith produces two things in the believer. So go with me on this, okay? It's going to produce love for Jesus. And the second thing is an increase of activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, where am I getting this from? So I'm getting this from verse 6 and verse 8. Okay, we'll start with love for Jesus. In verse 8, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So, number one, you're gone through the fire. That your, your faith has been tested. And you have your increased love for Jesus. So the fire is not meant to hurt you. It is meant to increase your love for Jesus. And this is so hard to separate from the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. So where am I getting that from? Okay, in verse 6, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. Okay, so that phrase, In, you, in this you greatly rejoice. And then at the end of verse 8, it says, You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Have you ever been through something that you can't explain to somebody else unless they too have been through it? It's inexpressible what you've experienced. And it's the same thing through the testing of faith. You can't explain what you've been through. It's uh, the joy that you have received and being filled with glory because of the testing of faith. You can't explain it to somebody else in words unless they too have been through it. It's something like that. It's, it's almost inexpressible. So he says, you started out greatly rejoicing. Now you've been through testing. Now you, your, your joy has been increased. Now you're greatly rejoicing with inexpressible joy. And you're filled with glory. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And it's something we have to yield ourselves to. Being filled with His Spirit. D.L. Moody was asked one time, why do you always ask me to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, because I'm leaky. I'm leaky. <laughs> I think we're le- that could be all of us. You know, we are leaky. But we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another way of putting it, let the words of Christ richly dwell in you. Let those words richly dwell in you. It's a submitting to that, yielding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And... Um, So, in your experience of going through trials, going through suffering, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. This is why you are filled with the the Holy Spirit now in an increased measure. Because you found out the Lord does not abandon His own when you're going through the fire. The Lord does not leave you alone. He loves His own to the end. Not to the middle. But to the end, and you find that out. You find out that the Lord is with you in the middle of it. And so, uh, Byron told me when it gets 11.48 to, to move the application. I have much more I want to say. <laughs> I have much more I want to say. I'm going to go to 11.50, then I'll move the application. There's many themes in the book of Peter. And I hope this is just wetting your palate. Um, wetting your palate to, to dive deep into the, to the first letter of Peter. I hope, I hope it is just wetting your palate. Um, so, how do we do this? How do we do this? Where is our example? Jesus is our example. He is our example. Uh, go to the end of, of chapter 2. And it's, it, well, it says, He is our example of how to go through this. So there are four callings on your life in the book of Peter. And uh, you're called to holiness. 
First, first chapter says you are called to holiness. The second chapter says that you are called to, to patiently endure suffering for righteousness sake. When you do what is right and yet suffer for it, because your conscience of God, you want to be, you want to walk it out as God, as Jesus would walk it out, this finds favor with God. The third thing you're called to is you're called to give a blessing when you're, when evil has been done to you. When evil has been perpetrated on you, you're called to give a blessing instead of an insult. That's found in chapter 3. And then in the, la- the fourth calling on your life is found in the last chapter. It is, um, you're called to eternal glory. The heavenly call is on you. There's the four callings on your life. Okay, the last thing I'll say is, there will be some on the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, they're going to have regret. Um, the, in the fourth chapter, Peter says, to the degree that you enter into the sufferings of Christ, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. So I'm looking at verse 13 of chapter 4. Keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. This principle shows us that you can, you can be saved and you could be, you know, punch your ticket to heaven. But there's degrees that you decide you're going to enter into his suffering. So what I'm, what I'm saying is when the test comes to you, if you're in it right now, don't cut cord and run. Go through it with the Lord. You'll find out he'll give you all the strength that you've ever needed. You'll prove, First Chronicles uh, 16.9, that he is jealous to uh, fill you, to, to give you strength to go through the fire. That he is with you. You are not alone in the fire. Choose to suffer with Christ now. Don't choose the easy way out. Um, So I think that was my application. So I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Get into into 1 Peter. Get into this book and just love it. Just just love it. It's for your edification. It's for your good. Um, There might be tougher times ahead. I don't know. I'm not sure. But even now, and this isn't, one thing I do want to point out, this isn't just for that day when you might go through a serious trial and you have to take a stand that might cost you your job. This is for everyday life. This is for everyday life. God wants a witness today. He wants a witness in your homes, and He wants a witness in your workplace. He wants to influence the world through you. You represent Jesus. You represent Jesus. What a glory to do this. This is great. Um, so, it's his kindness. God is kind. He is good. He is loving. So, I want to end with this. I think I'm actually going to stick to the right time. Alright, I want to close with this. Um, I'm going to read the hymn, How, How Firm a Foundation. Read all four verses that are in our, our hymnal. How firm a foundation... You saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word word. What more can he say to you than he said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not. I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. Verse three. 
when through fiery trial thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Whether it's raining, or it's storming, or the sun is shining, there's no clouds. You are the same today, yesterday, and forever. You are him who is, who was, and who, who, You are Him who was and who is and who is to come. And we worship You. We thank You for the work that You have begun in our lives. And we thank You that You're going to continue this work. Help us, Lord, to see You rightly. Help us to yield ourselves to You completely. Knowing that You are going to fulfill Your promise. Knowing that You love us more than we could ever imagine. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.